How do you sort out the so-called jargon from real-world practices that work? Do the members of your organization find some business advice utterly confusing? Welcome to the 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holzman. In this program, we set the record straight and in terms that people at any level of business and technology can understand. Now, here is your host, Sam Holzman. Welcome to the 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holzman. Uh, today, we have a special program, and we have two phenomenal guests uh, with us today. And uh, if you've heard about the term Beltway Bandits, and that's a little humorous, I hope, this episode of the 2020 Enterprise will be refreshing to you. In this episode, we're going to interview Brad King and Liam Speeden, CEO and CTO of Robbins Joya, respectively. They've been operating as a company since 1980, and they approach federal government contracting in a very different way. And they're not the stereotypical Beltway Bandit contractor that's out there. And that's why we're excited to bring uh, them to you today. They've combined leading-edge capabilities in management and technology with a seasoned understanding of their client's mission. And that's really powerful. Uh, They were early an innovator in program management and actually a model for many of the federal contractor firms out there since they've been in business since 1980. And over the years, they've evolved and expanded their offerings around enterprise delivery to combine industry-leading practices and program management, business analysis, one of my favorite topics, enterprise architecture, agile development, and building purpose-built solutions to various challenges in business and government. And they're helping clients achieve lasting, visible successes on every mission scale. So we welcome Brad and Liam uh, to the 2020 Enterprise. And I'd like to uh, first introduce Brad. Brad, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and also about RG? Well, thanks, Sam. Uh, Thanks for having us on the show. Um, well, I appreciate you going back and, and talking about uh, Robbins Joy as being founded over 40 years ago, or close to 40 years ago. Uh, the company was formed by uh, a retired colonel, uh, uh, Colonel John Joya and Jack Robbins, General Jack Robbins. And they really, because they felt that there was a real need for uh, scalable, uh, high-end, very sophisticated program management capabilities of the private sector to bring those those skills into government, and they were very successful in, in setting that up. And so, it's uh, it's interesting to me as as a segue into talking a little bit about myself. They founded the company in 1980, which was about a year into my career, and and I was in my first. Uh, job out of college uh, as a uh, cost and schedules analyst for the Boeing company on the B-1 bomber and the air launch cruise missile, which uh, were programs that uh, John and Jack were involved in as program executives for the Air Force before they founded Robbins Joya. So for me uh, to fast forward 40 years and be uh, running the company that they created is, is really quite exciting. And, and as I mentioned, it was founded uh, on the premise that you know we wanted to be the Robbins Joy wanted to be the leading uh, industries industrial supplier of program management services to the government and uh, they were very successful in doing that but what you know we learned have learned over the last five to seven years is that uh, program management is 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 uh, essential uh, to mission success and enterprise delivery but it's really not sufficient and that's why back in 2012 we made investments. We acquired a company up in Boston 
uh, to bring us a, a very deep uh, commercially founded uh, methodology for business analysis. And then we worked with you, as you recall, uh, to train you know a couple dozen of our uh, consultants and to get them certified as enterprise architects. And so we, we really viewed that as our way of uh, creating what we call enterprise program delivery, which includes the mashup, if you will, of program management, business analysis, and enterprise architecture to help you know, deliver outcomes for our clients. And so uh, you know, that's matured, and over the last couple of years, the company has been uh, really rejiggering our go-to-market strategy uh, to focus on the needs in, in industry and in government uh, to modernize their systems. Because as you well know, uh, there are way too many companies, and the government is not alone. The private sector uh, industry has the same problem with legacy systems that are still running on mainframes that are 45 years old, and uh, or they've made an investment in an ERP system uh, after y or leading up to Y2K. Uh, and those things are now, you know, coming up on, you know, 20 years old. So uh, there's a vast market for modernization, and we really have uh, focused our strategy and positioned ourselves uh, to go to market as a uh, trusted advisor to industry and to government uh, as it, you know, endeavors to modernize its systems. And uh, frankly, we're, we're getting some really good feedback on that so far. Fantastic, fantastic. Uh, uh, sounds like a, a huge transformation internally, too, uh, not just with your clients as you're moving into this uh, uh, new approach, I guess. Right, Brad? Yeah, and, and probably a good place to introduce Liam because, uh, as you know, uh, Sam, Liam and I go back even before uh, Robin's Joya days. As a, he, he was an enterprise architect that uh, we relocated from London to help us in, the, in North America uh, with some of the large uh, public-private partnerships and things that the government was doing is that was all very interesting stuff. Um, and you know, Liam, uh, after I left my previous employer, Liam jetted out to uh, Silicon Valley for a few years to be a, a product manager for uh, a large uh, software company out there and, and ran global products. And he's brought a lot of the uh, agile uh, methodologies uh, into our business. It's really transformed not only the way that we do software development sustainment for our government clients, uh, but it's also transforming the way that we think about uh, you know, multi-year strategic planning. If you, if you think about a strategic plan, you know, rather than having a strategic plan that you put on a shelf, you, know, you update it once a year and then you put it on the shelf and go back to what you were doing before, uh, using a more agile mindset, if you will, around uh, how you uh, develop and execute uh, strategic plans where you have a constant uh, backlog of, of activities and things that you're doing that are aligned with your strategy. Uh, it really is a, a good way to look at how you can transform your business. And I think that it really has uh, transformed how we operate internally as well as the way we go to market and, and the way that we perform work. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, Liam, with that great introduction, can you uh, talk a little bit more about yourself, please, and what you've done uh, in the past and also at uh, RG here? Yeah, sure. Uh, I, I, 
first off, I, mean, I think it's it's you know Beltway Bandit was a was a fair call, and although I'm Australian, I'm not actually a convict, uh, so <laughs> I'm glad that you didn't put us in that category. We actually prefer Beltway Pirate. <laughs> Beltway Pirate is, is, is much better. It's like, <clears throat> it's like they, they they followed a code. There was some honour among them, um, and and uh, I'm I'm really glad to be able to join you and talk about enterprise architecture because, like you, this is a a subject of of personal passion because I mean I see it as essential to making well-informed decisions and establishing a credible roadmap for any organization, whether it's commercial or government. And and it's something that's dynamic and doesn't sit on the shelf. And I think we can come back to that, I think, later on in the in the show, because I think there is a lot of, of uh, or a tendency for people to create something and then go, oh, I've done that. And then it just stays stagnant and, and rapidly diverges from the reality of the business. But going back to your point about, you know, how did I end up here? Um, I think one of the key things is that I've always been interested in solving big challenges with technology. I started off working in the geospatial arena in in climate change and telecommunications, doing uh, models of, of you know, ice and snow accumulation for Antarctica and, and wildfires and soil erosion across Australia, those kind of things. And, and in that way, I was always looking at modeling systems and data at a, at a very high level of complexity and variability. Over time, though, I became much more interested in how organizations were using information to make decisions and, and how they were arriving at that need to, to change and to modernize. And so I sort of parlayed the skills that I built there into being able to model large complex systems. Some of the stuff I was doing in the UK were looking at you know, systems that span the whole of, of the UK's information architecture for, for government or global telecommunication systems and things like that. And then increasingly matching that back against it, the, you know, the whys of change. You know, why were the organizations were changing? You know, how were they going to enact that change and make good decisions? Because there was so much failure at the large transformation level at that large decision-making level. And a lot of that was based on, on flawed information or, or, or flawed perceptions of technology and change further down the decision stack that, that, was, that was causing a lot of these failures and, and problems. So the, so the, the, the challenges both uh, uh, in large corporations or large organizations and, and the government uh, seem to be relatively much much the same. Is there something, uh, gentlemen, that, that differentiates what you're seeing in the federal sector versus the, uh, you know, essentially the commercial sector? Is there something that is, is sort of like different? Yes, I know politics. <laughs> but is there something that you're seeing that uh, uh, in, in approaches that you have for program management? Yes, and I think part of that, and, and this is where RG's ability to and, and experience across both the commercial and the, and the public sector comes in, and, and also you know I, I bring a, an additional perspective from from my my worldwide career as, as does Brad, is that the the government's about 15 years behind industry best practice in in transformation and modernisation, and that's partly due to you know, the assumptions and the processes they've put in place, and then they've stuck rigidly too, and and one of the things that we're very active in doing is is promoting ways to to bring the government in particular the federal government up to up to date in terms of of those best practices and behaviors and and to be more agile to you know, to stop thinking in 10-year life cycles when they should be thinking in a one-year life cycle or a two-year life cycle 
the reception there uh, is good, bad, and different, difficult. Uh, you're going against sort of like the uh, 100-year grain, so to speak. <laughs> well, you know, it, it is um, interesting and I think noteworthy, Sam, um, some of the progress that the government is making. Uh, Liam and I just got back from a conference down in uh, Montgomery, Alabama, where the uh, Business Enterprise Systems Organization for the Air Force had their summit meeting. And you know, they really are um, taking a more modern view of how they can achieve modernization. There's a lot less uh, a lot fewer silos uh, and a lot closer working with industry that's coming about. Uh, they've, they really have, I think, at a, at a very high level institutionally, uh, right up to uh, you know, the Office of the Secretary of Defense, uh, embraced uh, you know, modern methodologies for uh, you know, agile software development, continuous improvement, that kind of thing. And so we're seeing a lot smarter uh, contracting activity. Uh, we just we won a contract here earlier in the year where we're going to be providing uh, enterprise architecture type uh, support and business analysis support across all the functional areas of the Air Force across all 38 different business areas. Uh, and you know they did a, they ran a process where it started with okay uh, submit a white paper. Uh, telling us how you would address our problems. Uh, they down-selected and said, okay, you guys come in and, and have a 30-minute oral presentation so we could actually look them in the eye and engage with them and, and talk about you know, what it is they're trying to achieve and make sure that we were you know, hitting their uh, pain points. And then from that, they down-selected to uh, a, you know, a handful of companies that were invited to give you know, formal oral presentations as well as a technical proposal, and they awarded the contract off of that. And that was really a breakthrough uh, for me, and I'd never really seen them run that kind of a process so effectively. And what it did is it really uh, allowed us, by the time we got to our technical proposal, that we really had you know, established a relationship and, and engaged with them in a way that we felt that we could you know, really address their, their, uh, their requirements. And we hope that you know, that kind of a more enlightened approach to engaging with industry to get the right solutions uh, will continue to expand and grow. And, uh, you know, frankly, it's sort of, uh, in, in some way, in that way, Liam, I, I think they're actually a little bit ahead of industry because I don't see, uh, I see a lot of problems uh, as we've tried to address the commercial marketplace where they try to uh, put every, you know, people like Robbins Joya you know, through their commodity uh, procurement uh, methodologies, which only assures them that they're going to get the, you know, the village idiot to come in and work for $60 an hour, uh, to be honest. So I think that the, the, the government is, is really moving in the right direction. I, I agree. I think it's very positive. There are a lot of positive signs in government that they are genuinely looking to not do the same thing faster, but a, a different way to approach solving the problems, having a recognition that, uh, that you know, what has been done, particularly on the large uh, enterprise-wide uh, programs for modernization, hasn't worked or hasn't worked consistently at the rate that they want it to. I think one of the most interesting things from this conference that Brad mentioned was you know, the, uh, there was a clear identification by the government of a shortfall in knowledge in their contractor community around doing things differently. 
and that was brought up by them, by the government, as a, as a big risk. Now, the fact that they recognize that, I think, is incredibly uh, positive in that, in that you know, they, they were really testing the community to you know, not just give them the latest buzzwords, but to say pragmatically, give them experience and, and, and uh, uh, confidence that what was being proposed was not just the latest fad that was going to uh, fail yet again. And I think that was a, a great... Uh, uh, a great step forward. Fantastic. So we're just going to take a uh, quick break. Uh, and uh, this is Sam Holzman with the 2020s uh, Enterprise Program. Uh, we're interviewing uh, Brad King and Liam Neeson. We'll see you back here in just a few minutes. <laughs> Is your organization in the internet age when those around you are moving into the information age? Are your hallway conversations filled with words and phrases like blockchain, AI, VR, cloud computing, and micro this and that? Are you interested in bringing some method to the madness? Then talk to us. Through years of consulting with clients all over the world, the Pinnacle Business Group and Architecture's Center of Excellence have developed an understanding of what makes a consultant-client relationship work. And this understanding comes to every engagement. The Pinnacle Business Group assists organizations in solving their business and system challenges with its unique, proven approaches, bringing teams of business and system personnel together to jointly define business and system requirements. The teams are led through a series of facilitated activities to provide innovative solutions to their business and system challenges. We look forward to hearing from you. Visit PinnacleBusinessGroup.com. You are listening to The 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holzman. We welcome questions and comments about the program via email to sam at eacoe.org. That's sam at eacoe.org. Now, back to The 2020s Enterprise. Thank you for joining us. Uh, this is Sam Holzman with The 2020s uh, Enterprise. And... Uh, before our break, uh, I introduced a guest that wasn't here, Liam Neeson, Neeson, rather than Liam Speeden, I apologize. And I want to mention the reason was I was trying to make sure that I had Liam's first name correctly. So he said, it's pronounced the same as the actor. And of course, I was just looking at my notes here and very quickly I made that mistake. So uh, Liam is much more handsome and articulate than the other Liam, by the way. So uh, He's talking about uh, Speeden. He's, he's taller and, and more successful than I am. <laughs> Well, positive cash flow isn't the only measure. <laughs> right. So uh, what we want to talk about in the seg second segment is, as, as uh, Brad King was mentioning uh, prior to the break, uh, when they, uh, they were uh, awarded this uh, contract, uh, he went through a pretty rigorous process. And, and the, the question to, to Brad and to, to Liam, and also for our audience, is what are the differentiators that the government saw that made them excited about your proposal that was there? Well, I'll probably uh, be better off deferring to Liam to, to a great extent, but I, I can say that uh, what we did in that proposal is we, we brought to the government a commercially proven methodology for how we accomplish uh, requirements definition and, and modeling of those things. And uh, we, we presented it to them in a way that they understood they were going to uh, in addition to you know uh, developing the requirements and, and creating artifacts, we're actually creating a, a living 
data repository for all those artifacts that can live throughout a software development life cycle. And, and I think that they, they like that. And I think the fact that we were pretty rare, uh, a rare bird in the government contracting uh, world because not too many uh, government contractors play well in commercial as well as in the uh, government space. There are just enough differences in the way that they buy and the way that, and the duration of, of uh, programs, etc. And so uh, one of the things that the government asked for on that particular proposal is, and it was the first time in my career that I've seen it, where they actually required that each competitor offer up one past performance recommendation from a commercial client, uh, which is abnormal. Usually it's like if you haven't done it for you know, XYZ uh, command, uh, you really don't understand our problem. They were really looking for innovative, uh, commercially you know, proven uh, solutions. And so I think that we were able to do that and then also back it up with uh, you know, some good, uh, solid commercial past performance. And that's not uh, real uh, common in the, as amongst us Beltway pirates. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, Brad, is a tremendous uh, 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 understanding. Uh, I, I hadn't heard that before uh, from a federal government standpoint. They were actually looking for practices outside of the federal government. As you said, uh, there tend to be a bit of a closed community. This is very exciting for all of us, you know, both as taxpayers and citizens and, and also technologists uh, that are there. Uh, Liam, can you amplify a little bit on that, if you can? Yeah, I, th- I think uh, one one of the things that we really anchored our uh, proposal to the government in that case, and, and it's become really the, the foundation of, of RG's you know, future direction, is around you know, delivering solutions and focusing on the outcomes of the customer first, rather than the necessarily a, a sort of rigid, long-term process of getting there. So what we were really offering is a combination of agility, consistency, scalability, and collaboration, where you know the agility comes from you know, being able to adapt to the changing circumstances. All of the government agencies, but the DoD in particular, faces a very dynamic operating environment, even on the business system side. And if, if you're thinking in five and 10-year timescales, you're not thinking fast enough in order to be able to help them meet their mission. And, and that's something that we, we really focused on in, in our presentation to them. The consistency comes from having proven methodologies. And that, and that going back to my point about you know, they're not used necessarily applying the latest best practices that are proven, not even just in the US, but internationally and in highly competitive industries like telecommunications, retail, uh, commercial space, industrial. And these are all things that have... Uh, been uh, innovating in in areas of you know supply chain management, uh, maintenance, uh, resource management, personnel management, and those best practices should be being moved uh, moved into the the federal government space. And and that, along with that comes the best practices, you know, the standards for business analysis, enterprise architecture, ag- um, agile development, and and you know other you know, structured development as well. Um, uh, and change management. Uh, and then with the scalability, one of the things that agility and the approach that we we proposed uh, requires is breaking down what we're often seen as, as separate s- segments or skill sets and delivering multidisciplinary teams that can actually work closely together 
uh, often blended with people from the from the government in in partnership and other third party contractors who are providing uh, specialist advice or specialist support uh, into a single program team that is able to focus again on those outcomes and on, on how to deliver those outcomes most effectively for the government and provide them with that information to make good decisions. You know, uh, one of the other things that we were able to uh, talk about in there, it, and I think one of the, it does differentiate us, I think, from, from a lot of the contractors around the Beltway, uh, is you know, we really make it part of our mission to uh, improve the organization that we're working with and collaborate with them in a very transparent way uh, to, to where hopefully the, a lot of the boundaries between contractor and, and staff member uh, begin to disappear. And I think one of the things that uh, allowed us to have such a strong commercial pass performance, because we did have to use just one, one example, but it was a large insurance company. Uh, they were looking to replace their uh, policy management system of systems, which is some 36 systems, and they wanted to migrate to one. And they hired us, and it was a you know it was a good 18-month uh, engagement to uh, put those requirements together and help them go through the uh, selection process for what software they're going to use. Um, but you know, part of the process is going in and beginning to elicit the uh, the process elements from and the user stories that, from all of the the humans that are going to be uh, uh, affected by the change and, and whose jobs are going to be affected by the changes in, in, in technology as well as process um, which by the way is an important first step in change management I, I always say you know people uh, really like change they just don't want to be changed and so <laughs> by uh, going through that process, we begin the change management process along with the process of, of eliciting requirements. And the other thing we discovered, and this will be a shocker to you, Sam, uh, you know, they had done an estimate of how many processes that they needed to have documented in order to, to build out their requirements for their new system. Uh, and they, they assumed it was going to be a, about 250 uh, processes that they were going to have to model. And so we went in and started our going through that. And lo and behold, there were processes that they didn't know about. Hmm. Uh, and the, the number of processes grew uh, by like a factor of three. And obviously, the, uh, the typical uh, consulting firm would look at that and, well, you know, wow, we can, we can go and, and bring in a bunch of uh, much more consultants. Uh, but we went to that client and, and told them, you know, look, what we think would be more effective and you know gentler to your pocketbook is if you would second uh, a half a dozen or so of your people to the team and let's work with them in an integrated way and that way when we get done and we leave uh, they know where the artifacts came from they understand the processes that we went through uh, and they have the ability to maintain uh, the data store uh, going forward through the program and so they, they took us up on that so we were actually able to deal with a lot more complexity than we had envisioned uh, without breaking the bank for our client and, and leaving them in a much better place than they were when we started. Uh, and frankly, that's the same story that we told to the Air Force uh, on this contract that I was talking about earlier that we, that we recently won is, yes, we will come in and we will put together teams to go in and elicit uh, all the, the artifacts that we want to, that we need uh, to support their mission. Uh, but 
uh, we're planning on taking you with us, and, and you know, the methodology that we're going to be implementing is going to be an be a methodology that hopefully will uh, be evergreen in your organization and help you remain uh, successful even after we're done with the immediate tasks. Well, that's why I mentioned to our audience that uh, this is a very refreshing approach to uh, essentially a partnership with the government. Um, I want to mention a, a, a phrase here, gentlemen, that uh, I think is appropriate. Uh, a number of years ago, uh, the federal government had a, uh, a chief uh, information officer. His name was uh, Tony Scott, mm-hmm. and uh, he was appointed toward the end of President Obama's term. And um, Tony has been a client of ours uh, at six different companies for almost 28 years. And um, when he came to the federal government, I had the privilege of meeting with him uh, about three or four months into his tenure. And I said to him, I said, Tony, I said, uh, you've been in the commercial sector forever, now you're in the federal government. What do you see as something, what do you see as different? And he looks at me and he says, Sam, he says, people around here never want to land airplanes. And I looked at him, and uh, he's a private pilot, but what he was talking about, I think, Brad, is exactly what you and Liam and RG are promoting. In other words, it's that trusted advisor role where you leave behind some goodness that can be carried on by the client, which doesn't mean that they're not going to call you back. Am I hearing that correctly? Well, and... and that's exactly right, and, and you know the, the good news is uh, we often do get called back because you know they we now have uh, informed smart customers uh, who you know know okay well this is a big challenge my current resources can't handle it uh, who am I going to partner with uh, to go ahead and, and get this overcome this challenge and, and so they usually think of us and say you know. Uh, they came in here and left us a better place before. Uh, we can trust them to to come in here and and deliver the goods. And and so, you know, uh, we love repeat customers. Oh, yeah. I, think, I think one of those aspects is we intend to to be there until they achieve those outcomes. And and when you have a whole bunch of of different. Uh, Contractors, for example, delivering different things. You know, the business analysts are going to come up with their their perfect, you know, in-depth business analysis. The enterprise architectures architects are going to describe their architecture. The agile people are going to run off and and, and build software. There is is the loss there that gets very much focused on the uh, the process and the activity, and the outcome gets lost. And one of the things that I think that you know we have we continue to seek to do, and this has been foundational for the company, is is being there all the way through to that outcome is is recognised by the customer, and and not sort of getting distracted by the work at hand. Uh, and we've you know, some of the work that we do with the the Navy and the Air Force, for example, where we've been involved for over twenty years in in not only building the software that underpins the the, the solutions that we provide, but sustaining those solutions as well has been completely based on the fact that you know, we have that close relationship that Brad described and that we're, we're working you know, hand in hand with them to, to modernize and to uh, adapt to, to meet their changing needs rather than just simply uh, you know, ticking the boxes and, and, and uh, 
um, you know, turning up each day. There's a, a, a phrase that uh, we've been using uh, when it comes to these types of uh, activities, and um, we call it uh, bioengineering. And uh, it sounds like a highfalutin uh, commercial phrase, but basically the B stands for business, the I stands for information, and the O, the dreaded organizational activities. And what we see here, it's a, it's a three-legged stool. And um, it's that roundness within an organization, both from a client perspective uh, and, uh, of course, a consultant perspective, you know, that's required. Uh, you can have the greatest skills you know, in the world that are there, but it actually, to us, the key thing is you can't simplify the business until you simplify the business. Technology can add to complexity, but it can't reduce the business complexity until the business is less complex. Uh, Coming back to Brad, what you were mentioning just a little bit here before our break, is that the sort of partnership that you saw there when you saw the mass amount of processes that sort of appeared out of nowhere? <laughs> well, I mean, you ha- you have a choice to make when you're confronted with those situations. You you have the choice to, you know, exploit it to, for the greatest commercial advantage now or, or you or you optimize it for your client. And I think it's just a it's just an ethos uh, that we try to um, uh, adhere to going forward. You know, we we actually have uh, a situation with the Air Force and with the Navy where we've been providing. Because uh, you know, one of the things that makes us unique, by the way, is not only do we support enterprise architecture and business analysis and program management to support government and industry systems modernization. We do systems modernization. We write code. Uh, we actually have our own software products, and one of our software products uh, is the core scheduling engine and has been the core scheduling engine for the Air Force and the Navy for all of their heavy maintenance, repair, and overhaul for coming up on uh, 25 years, uh, really coming up on 30 years now. And uh, so one of the ways that we've maintained that sole source position with that software and with our services that are related to that software is uh, – you know, because because if, if the Air Force or the Navy wanted to get rid of us, they'd find a way to get rid of us. Uh, and so it, it takes a real discipline to always try to make sure that we're adding value to the customer, adding value to the engagement as we go forward, not resting on our laurels, continuing to behave in an ethical uh, in an ethical way. Uh, you know, and and like Liam said, focusing on outcomes because if we do that. Uh, we believe that you know growth and profit will will certainly come our way, but uh, that, that, that ethos is really important. And I think that one of the things that I I feel about our business is we've got a very cohesive management team, uh, and uh, that that permeates all the way down through. But it's all you know based on those sound values, uh, frankly, that John Joy and Jack Robbins put in place you know nearly 40 years ago. Excellent, excellent. Those are refreshing phrases. I, I'm sure our audience really appreciates that. And so we're coming up uh, to a uh, uh, just a, a second break here. Uh, again, this is Sam Holzman with the 2020s Enterprise. I'm here with, uh, let me see if I can get it right this time. I'm just joking <laughs> with you. Brad King and uh, Liam Speeden uh, from RG. And we'll return in just a few minutes. 
Uh, we have one more segment coming up on the 2020s enterprise, talking about essentially government contracting and the what I consider to be the more fresh, refreshing approach to addressing government needs. See you back here in a few minutes. Is your organization in the internet age when those around you are moving into the information age? Are your hallway conversations filled with words and phrases like blockchain, AI, VR, cloud computing, and micro this and that? Are you interested in bringing some method to the madness? Then talk to us. Through years of consulting with clients all over the world, the Pinnacle Business Group and Architecture's Center of Excellence have developed an understanding of what makes a consultant-client relationship work. And this understanding comes to every engagement. The Pinnacle Business Group assists organizations in solving their business and system challenges with its unique, proven approaches, bringing teams of business and system personnel together to jointly define business and system requirements. The teams are led through a series of facilitated activities to provide innovative solutions to their business and system challenges. We look forward to hearing from you. Visit PinnacleBusinessGroup.com. You are listening to The 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holtzman. We welcome questions and comments about the program via email to sam at eacoe.org. That's sam at eacoe.org. Now, back to The 2020s Enterprise. Welcome back. Uh, this is Sam Holtzman with The 2020s Enterprise. And um, on, a, uh, on our program today uh, from uh, RG, Robbins Joya, is the CEO of Robbins Joya, Brad King, and the Chief Technology Officer, Liam Speeden. And we've been chatting about, essentially, uh, approaches to uh, filling clients' needs, specifically within the, with, within the federal government, and the changing profile of the partnerships you know, that are out there. And uh, one of the topics that we've been chatting about just to sort of uh, briefly was the concept of enterprise architecture. And we completely, uh, uh, I'll say, go against the grain when we look at the Internet and we see that people talk about enterprise architecture as as, as, uh, solely an information systems activity. Uh, Our belief is that what enterprise architecture is is about enabling business strategy. And with that, we look at the types of people that are actually involved in enterprise architecture. And one of the things that unfortunately we sometimes see in in the federal government and others is specifications for those people to become enterprise architects. For example, they require a master's degree in a science. We just don't agree with that. We believe that what people are trying to do there as an enterprise architect is understand complexity. And uh, a number of years ago, I really had the pleasure and privilege of uh, uh, presenting a course to a young lady that has a very different degree program, a degree, excuse me, and it happened to be uh, Brad King's daughter. And uh, Brad, if I can turn that over to you and uh, have you say just a little bit about how she came to this course and um, what she was able to do once she left that and what RG is doing with those resources that are possibly not what people would think of when they're looking at architects or analysts or designers. Well, sure. Thanks. 
Uh, Sam, I'm always uh, delighted to talk about my daughter, uh, Meryl. She's a, she's a, you know, she's been the apple of my eye for a long, long time. But uh, she's, you know, obviously uh, a very bright young woman. Uh, she uh, got her undergraduate degree from the University of Chicago, uh, Phi Beta Kappa at, at, at UC. Uh, went off and got her master's in archaeology uh, at Cambridge in the UK at Trinity College. Uh, came back here to the States and, and uh, went into the PhD program for Egyptian archaeology at UCLA and was well down the path toward her PhD uh, in Egyptian archaeology. She spent uh, probably a good six months in, living in a tent in, in Egypt uh, digging up artifacts. Uh, but she sort of became uh, disenamored with the whole... Uh, uh, academic uh, track. Uh, she was working, you know, long, long hours, uh, and, and there were many years ahead of, of doing that for very little. And she, you know, she met someone like uh, you hope that your daughter will, a wonderful young man. She fell in love, and uh, they, she, she wanted to make a change and, and go into, uh, you know, employment. Um, and she, despite her incredible academic background, she couldn't even get an interview for a, for an executive assistant position uh, in a company because uh, you know maybe she they felt she was overqualified uh, or it was an unusual background. And, and uh, I learned something several years before that you know we sometimes would be wise to look outside of the normal. Uh, places for talent. Uh, when I was a CIO at, at uh, a company called Day and Zimmerman up in Philadelphia, we were looking for SAP uh, technical type people and the market was just crazy and so somebody suggested to me that you know music majors tend to be good uh, you know coders and, and uh, configurers of systems like that so we went out and we hired about uh, a dozen uh, music majors who were delighted to have the job uh, for a lot less than we're having to pay for SAP people and we trained them ourselves uh, and they turned out to be our best resources. So remembering that that experience, uh, I told Meryl, I said, look, let's let's make one more investment and, and Frank, you co-invested, thank you, uh, in Meryl and, and put her through the enterprise architecture certification process. And she came back from that and said, you know, Dad, that was really fantastic. And I'll let you comment on how well she did in the class. But uh, she said, you know, if, you, if as I look at this, it really does feel like a career for me. Uh, because if you think about what I've been doing for the last 10 years of my life, I've been studying the architecture of civilization going back for thousands of years. And it really, uh, you know, is, is a great place to come from for this. And so... You know, based on that, we, we we brought her into the company and gave her some experience doing that, and she's really gone from strength to strength on that going forward. But um, you know, what we what we take away from that is, and I think you've had similar experiences. One of our other more successful enterprise architects was a young woman who happened to be a funerary archaeologist. Uh, but we've anthropologists, music majors. You know, these are all people who, whose minds uh, deal with complexity very well. I mean, the, the complexities of classical music and things like that, are that's a good primer for what it is that we do. And, and frankly, it's an inefficiency in the marketplace because you know, a lot of those people have difficulty finding jobs. And with a little bit of training and an opportunity, uh, they can really 
shine. And we've actually built a program around that that concept. It's called the Entrepreneur Experience. We call it the T program, and we're constantly finding. Uh, young, academically talented people. If you know any out there, please uh, invite them to uh, look us up. Uh, But academically talented people from some of these other fields uh, that we can make make an investment in and they become excellent uh, you know, resources for the kind of work that we do as well. And and it's, and they find it to be a very rewarding career uh, as well. And so uh, that's, I think that's what you were asking me about, but we're we're very excited about that program. And it, you know, it wasn't just uh, Merrill. She she got us off to a jump start and really encouraged us as an organization to to uh, make that a, uh, a you know a cultural discipline for us to continue to do that. And it's worked really well for us. That's fantastic. Uh, curious, um, how does um, how does her talent or others, not just her, uh, with a different background? Uh, uh, appear in front of both your customers and also the uh, peers that she has within the company. Um, I'm just curious about the human dynamics uh, because the uh, the uh, academic backgrounds are quite a bit different. Uh, I'm just curious how how that all fits in. It, it's it, it's interesting, and I, I'm going to ask Liam to kind of chime in here because he's had a lot of experience with this too. But you know, one thing that I you know, it's funny how you, your, your brain sorts out what you observe. And one of the things that I had never observed before until we started doing this is I realized that a lot of our more successful people that we had don't have the background that you would assume that they had. You know, uh, we have people that are come, come from all kinds of different uh, unique backgrounds that aren't necessarily technical. And so... Um, if, if, you, if we look around, we'll find that people that are successful aren't necessarily the ones that, you know, decided to go major in computer science. We like people that have done that, uh, but uh, in some ways, uh, they can be not the best resources for thinking creative, creatively uh, around, you know, the big complicated issues that, that businesses and, and uh, government faces today. And I, I think from my perspective that uh, the the key thing is is that firstly, talent respects talent. If you have a lot of talented people, it doesn't really matter what their background is. Is that they see other people like them with in terms of their commitment, their intellect, their passion, and and they will they they will be they won't be judging them just because they don't have a piece of paper from from or an MBA or or from a high, from an Ivy League or something like that. And and yes, I mean back in when I was a management consultant in London, a lot of my colleagues who were also enterprise architects and and often extremely good technologists at the same time came from non-traditional backgrounds, accounting, political science, uh, languages, history. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my best friends to this day, I think, was was did history at at, uh, at Oxford, uh, and is is you know, has a phenomenal memory about all things. About London, as his deep passion of, of you know, one of the great pleasures in life is going for a walk with him, but equally he he can apply that ability to structure, you know, he, he probably has a thousand years of London history memorized uh, just because that's his passion. That kind of intellect, that ability to structure information, sequence it, 
and be able to then communicate it is a is a phenomenal skill and 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 it's got nothing at all to do with what your undergraduate or graduate degree was i think there's another thing that comes with that is that when you're looking for that kind of talent those kind of systems thinking in areas like archaeology music and what have you there's a, there's some other attributes that really stand out one is curiosity and the other is persistence is is that i think you know archaeology certainly is not all indiana jones yeah there's a lot of sitting around sifting through sand with a sieve and, and, and using a tiny brush to brush things away. That kind of, of persistence in the pursuit of an objective is an incredibly important trait. And it's not something that is encouraged at, say, the average business school. Well, and I think the willingness to sift through the sand. Yeah, uh, to sift through the sand. And it, it's, it's hard and dirty work. Funny story, Sam. Uh, if you'll allow me, you know, when Meryl was uh, on this project in, in Egypt, she was in a she had a square in her in her dig, uh, and where they were literally uh, for a couple of weeks sifting through uh, millennia old uh, human uh, excrement, <laughs> and uh, you know they actually found things that, that told them something about the culture. But uh, uh, you know the willingness. For someone that you know, has been raised in a fairly privileged way and, and had a you know great academic career, to go and, and sit there uh, with someone that has, you know speaks a different language, uh, the workers that they worked with and gained their respect, and sit there and sift through the poo. Uh, that's the kind of humans that we need in our business, and, and uh, that's the character that we really respect. Well, the what what you're talking about here is a, a deep analysis beyond the obvious and um, that talent is is rare frankly um, if we look and I, I don't like to stereotype because that, that's unfair I just want to give you an example give an example to uh, you know our audience for a moment um, someone that is 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 steeped in programming uh, there's a lot of logic that goes on <laughs> but what you're hearing here is you're putting together patterns about what civilization looked like uh, by a, you know a scattering of artifacts, <laughs> which is very very different, um, you know the, you know as uh, you know as as we see it, that seems to be the talent that uh, is is permeating RG. Frankly, yeah, we we really need people, and in fact, I think the whole industry needs people who ask why, why are we doing it this way? Why are we doing it at all? You know, why why is there a need to uh, to try something different, rather than just simply trying to do the same thing harder over and over again, or same thing faster. It's that ability to ask why. If you think about someone who's who's involved in music or architecture or, or history or, or the arts, you know, that creativity starts with a with a with a kind of question: Is that why hasn't somebody done this? Why hasn't somebody painted this picture? Why hasn't somebody? Yeah, why was this civilization behaving this way? Why were they piling all their poop up in the desert? And that kind of why did they cease to exist? Why did they cease to exist? Why did they cease to exist? It's an extremely good question. Uh, And and it's those kind of people who who are coming into any situation with that constant questioning perspective of of like why am I here? Why why are we doing this? That you start to get real insight and innovation because. They're, they're not just accepting everything as it is, and they're not going to just sit there and say, well, we've been doing this for the last 50 years. And there's like, oh, 50 years, schmears, you know, try looking at, at, at how something evolved over 5,000 years. And, and that kind of like perspective and, and insight is really what drives a good consultant. 
and, and I think increasingly a good technologist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the 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 whole aspect here is 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 looking beyond uh, the obvious implementation, as I call it. In other words, uh, and I'm nothing against obviously implementation specialists. They're they're quite important, but they're actually taking the work of your staff and, and your architects uh, that have done the digging, and they're figuring out the why, and then they're essentially saying, okay, take that and implement it. And that's a very different talent than I think most people uh, recognize from architects and implementers. Um, and uh, that talent seems to be something that you're, you're actually uh, harvesting or mining uh, through very different sources. And, and- it's actually one of the things I think it gets missed with, and we've not really talked about agile and agile development. And I've, I've got around 30 years experience in rapid systems development and agile that gets missed when, when you're doing though, when, when you're doing following agile in either, whether it's safe or whether it's traditional agile, which is the sagas and the epics, the most high level things that you're using to describe what you're building are really asking about not just what someone is doing, but you're really at that point addressing why you're doing it. And, and that is actually an essential thing. If you don't understand why, you will not build a good solution. You will not create a compelling roadmap and you will not create a, 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 the best user interface, the user experience and, and solution that you, you can unless everybody understands why and why permeates your, your stories. And that is why, there's that word again, Agile describes things as stories because a good story is always about why. Um, yes, big reference back to to Game of Thrones on on Sunday. The with that with that, um, I want to wrap up here for just uh, a minute. We are close to uh, running out of time here, uh, gentlemen. If somebody wants to get a hold of your company, uh, your website as we close out is www.teamrg.com. That's t e a m r g dot com. Fantastic. Uh, Brad, thank you, thank you, thank you for your time. Liam, thank you for your time. This is Sam Holzman with the 2020s Enterprise. I hope you enjoyed this very unique program today. Thank you again. We'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in this week to the 2020s Enterprise. Be sure to join your host, Sam Holzman, again for another edition of our program. Next Wednesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll have more topics of discussion then. Hi, my name is Sam Holtzman with the Enterprise Architecture Center of Excellence. The sole mission of our organization is to help your organization move from the industrial age through the internet age into the information age. Since 1972, our firm has been dedicated to the practice of enterprise architecture and what we refer to now as Enterprise Architecture 3.0. Enterprise Architecture 1.0 began with Dewey Walker in 1966, when at IBM he came up with the process called business systems planning. And that was focused on understanding the enterprise through the eyes of building information systems. Enterprise Architecture 2.0 was best defined by what is referred to as the BAIT model, Business, Application, Information, Technology, Architectures, 
more correctly termed EITA, Enterprise Information Technology Architecture, which is focused on understanding what is needed to be done prior to implementation of information systems. We're now moving to EA 3.0, which is about information not focused on the internet and technology as a delivery mechanism alone. We're moving into the information age, and EA 3.0 that we practice is about understanding the enterprise and business through a series of human consumable representations rather than looking at the enterprise and business through the eyes of a computer system or a compiler. Enterprise Architecture 3.0 is best described and defined as the enabler of business strategy. Please join us in this journey. We provide online courses, workshops, classroom-based, and full enterprise architecture support. We look forward to hearing from you either through email or call us. We'll be happy to speak with you soon.